What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Thursday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where you get all of our brand new baseball content, whether it be podcasts, articles, polls, news and notes, everything that we share out baseball related, it does get shared out at EthosFantasyBB as well. So make sure you guys are following over there in advance of the 2024 season. That's where you'll find all of our great work. If you're not somebody who uses social media, please do go to SportsEthos.com and you get all that same great stuff right from the source there. But today we are going to continue where we left off a couple days ago with our outfielder reviews. We're going to be going through numbers 21 through 30. Again, we are using the Yahoo Player Ranker. I know there are various different ones that you can look at. Every single site that you play fantasy on will have their own end-of-season rankings. There are also auction calculators and Rasball Player Rater. There's a lot of different ways you can look at valuation at the end of the season. But I think that Yahoo is the one that is well, maybe not the best place to play fantasy, but it is the most commonly used app outside of maybe ESPN, and ESPN's is just really a terrible experience. I encourage everybody to leave ESPN and go to Yahoo or the NFBC or CBS or Fantrax or anywhere else, somewhere that puts a little bit more effort into their fantasy. But either way, we're using Yahoo rankings because I think it will apply to the biggest majority of people while also giving you a good sense of where players finish this season. So we're going to pick up at number 21 and it's someone that we did mention when we did our first base reviews because he was somebody who had multi eligibility this past season. And that's Anthony Santander here at number 21. I was out on him um, after, I guess it was a month or so. It looked really terrible for Santander. And I was thinking that it was not going to be a pretty season for him. Um, he started off terribly, and if you were in a 10-team league or a 12-team league, the odds are that you probably dropped him after the month of April. He had two home runs, and he batted 213 for the course of, of the month, 94 at-bats, 25 games. I think it was safe to say that a lot of people in shallower leagues would have let go of him. And then in the month of May, seven homers, he bats 337. He figures it out. Now, it did fluctuate. That was the best month he had all season. It was 240, 232, 276. Uh, the rest of the way in terms of batting average. But if you look at those end-of-season numbers, which is all that really matters, especially for Roto, 28 homers, 95 RBIs, 5 steals, and a 257 batting average for him. 81 runs scored as well. Really solid overall season for Anthony Santander. Now, in terms of the eligibility, it will depend on your site where he is eligible next year. There will be some places, the shallower format sites, Yahoo and, and ESPN and those ones, where he should have first base eligibility. He played there 12 times. He was in the outfield 98 times, though, uh, 97 in right and once in left, and then he DH'd 47 times. So for sure, you do have an outfield-eligible player. First base will really depend on where you are playing. I, I really like Anthony Santander. I don't think that he is an exceptional fantasy asset. I think that he is just a, a pretty solid player who's in a good situation here, batting in the middle of that lineup in Baltimore where there's a good up-and-coming team there. I just, and I talked about this a little bit on the first base show as well, I don't know if this is necessarily what we can expect every single year in terms of the counting stats from him. The last two seasons, 89 and 95 RBI, 78 and 81 runs. It does lead you to believe that that is generally what he can do, but I'm just not 100% sold on the Orioles lineup, and I know a lot of people will not like that. There is a lot of Orioles slander that you do see 
whether it is projected rankings or projected standings or whatever it is, a lot of people are pretty far down on the Orioles. And I still think that they're a really good team, but I don't think that they're as good as maybe they were this season. I think it was a very lucky year. And we've mentioned this. They got great contributions from guys like O'Hearn and guys like Aaron Hicks and Adam Frazier and random guys that I don't know that you're going to be able to see repeatable performances there. Now, Gunnar Henderson, Adley Rutschman, those guys are studs. Jackson Holiday might be up in the big. Cedric Mullins could easily bounce back this year. It's still a solid lineup, but is it a lineup that's going to guarantee a guy like Santander giving you 90 to 100 RBI and 80 to 90 runs? I don't think so. So if you're expecting generally what he's done the last couple of seasons to continue, it might, and the projections are thinking that it probably will. I just don't know that his profile is so strong that you could say, well, yeah, I think that he can make up for it, whether it's with volume stats, whether it's with homers, whether it's with steals. I just don't know that overall you're getting a stud really anywhere. The homers are potentially you know, in the 25 to 35 kind of range, which I don't think is going to change too much, but you're not getting a great batting average, 240 to 250 kind of range. You're not getting a lot of steals. And like I said, I think the volume stats are kind of a little bit hit and miss with Santander. They might be really good. They might not be good at all. Now, the price is pretty solid on him in early drafts. You're looking at 145 as an ADP, and we're up to 64 drafts now. Every time we talk about this, there are more drafts, which is good. Bigger sample size shows you that it's going to be probably closer to what we're going to see uh, in February, March, as when we were looking at you know five or ten drafts. Things are starting to solidify a little bit. And Santander is going in the 10th round right now in 15-teamers, 145 overall, uh, 111 on the minimum, 178 on the maximum. I don't really have a problem with him around ADP or beyond. I just don't know if I want to be drafting him inside the first 10 rounds. He can be a nice stabilizer in a five outfielder league where you're getting pretty solid three categories. Again, I don't know how solid the power, you know, home runs, runs, and RBIs are going to be. I feel pretty confident in the power, but I just don't know about that lineup necessarily around him sustaining 95, 100 RBI. So I'm going to say that I'm okay with him at ADP, but I wouldn't really want to be pushing him much farther up than where he's going, which is about 150. But let's move on. Let's talk Brian Reynolds, number 22 on the season. Brian Reynolds is one of those confusing kind of players where sometimes he has these stretches and you just think, oh man, he is breaking out. It's going to be you know, a, a top 20 season from Brian Reynolds. And there were stretches this season where we thought Brian Reynolds, uh, especially at the beginning of the year, was going to just make everybody look kind of foolish for not drafting him higher up. Still a very good season, but I think that we generally kind of do overrate him a little bit. Um, now, if you look at what he did early on in the season, it was a 320 batting average in April with five home runs, 23 ribbies. He stole five bases. That was the best month he had all season because after April, you're looking at 242, 268, 200, 288, 252, two home runs, four home runs, three home runs, one home run. Overall, like that first month of the season did boost up the entire total because after that, it wasn't so great. He still finished with 24 homers, 12 stolen bases, a 263 batting average, 85 runs, and 84 RBI. It was still a very good season. And if you're looking at Yahoo's player ranker, 98th overall. Not really anything you can complain about. I just think that Brian Reynolds is one of these guys that we generally kind of over-expect things from. Uh, and it'll be because of those little stretches that he has where he just looks super, super unbeatable at the plate. He's stealing bases. He's hitting home runs. He's scoring. He's driving him in. He's doing everything for you. But then if you look at the end-of-season stats, as though even though they're nice, they're not like superstar-blowing-you-away kind of numbers. That 2021 season, I think, really skewed how we should view him he had 302 and even in 2019 he hit 314 as a rookie 
We've seen 262 and 263 these past couple years with more average BABIP. Those two years where he had crazy high batting averages, 387 BABIP, 345. These last two seasons, 306, 304. That's probably closer to what you can expect. A 260 to 270 hitter with a 300 to 315 or so BABIP. Now, the homer's pretty stable, 20 to 25 homers. Yeah, maybe even he pushes closer to 30. Uh, the runs and RBIs are probably pretty stable, but at the same time, they have bounced around a lot the last couple of years, and that's just kind of a product of being in a terrible lineup. In 2021, we saw 90 and 93, and then 2022, we saw 62 and 74. This year, back up to 84 and 85. That's RBIs and runs, and that's in the same amount of games as last year. So he's kind of a guy where... You don't know what to predict exactly. That Pirates team is not going to be good around him. Obviously, getting O'Neill Cruz back is going to help out a little bit. But I don't know that Brian Reynolds is a guy that I can you know, comfortably say, yeah, you're probably going to get 85 and 85 again, or 90 and 90. Uh, you know, The steals are kind of unpredictable as well. He's gone from 5 to 7 to 12. Maybe he goes up to 15. Maybe he's back to 6. Maybe it's 25. I honestly don't know with the new stolen base landscape, what a guy like Brian Reynolds is capable of. He's pretty quick, but he's not the fastest guy in the world. More a guy who will pick his spots. He was 12 of 13 in attempts this year, so he's not somebody who's just running freely. It's more so when he sees an opportunity. That is something that can change a lot year in and year out. That can easily turn 12 into 4. It could also turn into 17, but it's not something that you can really predict one way or the other. <clears throat> we'll put some predictions down, of course, because we're doing projections here for all players. And I'll probably have him for about eight, nine, I'd say, close to what Steamer has. But it's not something that you feel terribly confident about. Overall, I think that he is a little bit risky considering how bad the lineup is around him and how his profile is kind of hit or miss as well sometimes. Now, he's got a top 180 P minimum pick of 60, which is the end of the fourth round, last pick of the fourth in a 15-teamer. That's too much for me. But the maximum of 128 is probably pretty damn reasonable at that point. You're talking round seven, round eight, if you're getting him closer to the maximum. And I think at that point, it's hard to really argue with it. You're still getting not terrible batting average. You're still getting, you know, 20-plus homers, the potential for some steals. The counting stats won't be great, but they won't be terrible probably. So there is a point there where it does begin to make sense. And I think that that's probably after pick 100, just slightly after pick 100, or maybe even right around ADP of 96. I mean, I'm not going to you know, split hairs and say 95 is not okay, but 100 is because it's not that much of a difference at that point. But I think anywhere around or beyond ADP is probably where I would start to consider Brian Reynolds this next season. Not somebody to be pushing up a hell of a lot at all. Let's talk for the final time now about Spencer Steer. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it because we have talked about him all over the place because Spencer Steer had eligibility literally freaking everywhere this season. 73 times at first, 30, or excuse me, 47 times at third. He was in left field 45 times. He was at second 16 times. So going into next year, you are looking at ridiculous eligibility. It depends on what site you play on, but even on the NFBC where you have the strictest rules, you're still getting first, third, and outfield. Now, depending on your site, you might get second base as well. And I think on Yahoo and those shallower ones, because of his 16 games played, you're getting all that. First, second, third, and outfield eligibility is incredibly valuable. Now, as a rookie, 23 homers, 15 steals, and a 271 is beautiful. I've worried a little bit. I'll just kind of wrap up with the Coles notes here because, again, we've talked about him at every single position. It feels like I was worried a little bit that they wouldn't have playing time for everybody and Steer might be a guy who it wouldn't affect him greatly, but somebody who might sit once a week as opposed to sitting once every couple weeks in a different situation it's not a big deal. It's really not. It might be the difference between 150 games and 142 games or something. 
it's really not the biggest of concerns for me anymore. The more that the offseason goes on, the more that I've dug into Steer, there's no way they can really justify sitting him. He's going to be an everyday player. Above a 10% walk rate as a rookie, 20% strikeout rate as a rookie as well, 20.9. But that is really an incredible profile to debut to. You're talking speed, you're talking power, you're talking a great ballpark and a great lineup around him. I've changed my tune on him, and I've become a lot more interested in Spencer Steer, especially because the price at one point was floating inside the top 100. Now we're looking at 106. 72 on the minimum, 158 on the maximum. I think that anywhere close to that ADP is probably pretty reasonable considering the versatility and the talent that you get from a steer. He'll be middle-of-the-lineup guy, very potential, uh, very good potential for a 2020 kind of season from him. Projections have him for 22-10. and 10. I don't know exactly what the stolen bases are going to look like. It's kind of hard to judge based on just the one season when he had 15. Could go up, could go down. 10 is a fine projection. I think it could easily go up to 20, could easily be 10. Uh, but either way, you're getting good volume. You're getting good homer numbers projected. 23 last year, projected for 22. And you're getting a solid batting average as well. And at that point of a draft, pass pick 100 or in that range, usually you're not looking at such great batting averages. And at least if you're getting a good batting average, it's probably not going to be going along with a lot of other stats at that point. You're going to be getting a Luis Arise type or a Jeff McNeil type. Those guys are going a little bit later, but those are the general types of profiles you're hoping for with good batting average beyond pick 100. You're not getting quite the same level of batting average, but you're getting a much more balanced profile with Spencer Steer. So I think if you're getting him anywhere around that pick 100 range, it's going to be a good value for you. Let's talk a little bit of Josh Naylor coming in at 24 on the outfielder list. A guy we have spoken on once before uh, this offseason talking in the first base show, but we didn't get so deep into detail about Josh Naylor. We did talk about him a little bit, and I've also mentioned him as being a pretty good ADP value but let's talk about his season a little bit. 91 times at first, 27 times as a DH, and only one time in right field. So that outfield eligibility is gone heading into next season. He'll just be a first base guy. In 121 games, while in a terrible lineup, I might add, he drove in 97 runs. He scored only 52, which is a problem these last two years with Naylor. Not scoring a lot of runs, but he had 17 homers, stole 10 bases, and he had a 308 batting average. Stealing 10 bases for a guy that is 250 pounds is pretty damn impressive. Now, I don't know if he's going to be a steals guy. I don't. I mean, I, I bet that he won't be a quote-unquote stolen base kind of guy. You might see 10, you might see 12, you might see 6, you might see 8. Somewhere in that kind of range, the projections have him for 8 for next season. But I think the overall profile is so good. If Josh Naylor was in a lineup that was consistently driving in runs, it would look a lot different. Now... Either way, it doesn't really stop me from drafting him where he is going because I just think it's really, really late uh, at this point. It's 135, 107 on the minimum, 179 on the maximum. We may have benefited a little bit from him getting hurt down the stretch because if he hadn't, I feel like the price would be a lot higher than it currently is. I think that Josh Naylor is going to be one of the better values in draft season. People are going to push him down because of the offense, because of the fact that the team around him isn't the, the greatest team, of course. The fact that he was injured, I think there's a lot of reasons why people will be not really you know, jumping to press the draft button when it's their turn and Josh Naylor's on the board. I think that he might be somebody that gets pushed down a couple rounds unnecessarily. Uh, he should be going easily, I think, in the top 100 picks, but he's not. Now, there is an argument to be made in terms of the eligibility factor that Kyle Manzardo may be the first baseman starting next season, and then Naylor could potentially gain that outfield eligibility back. So just another point there. Uh, I think it's pretty likely that Manzardo starts the year with the team, whether they want to be DH in him first base. Uh, I'm not really 100% sure of the exact plan. 
But Naylor will have that first base eligibility. I think that there's a chance we also see him uh, gain outfield potentially back throughout the year. But either way, you're getting good batting average. You're getting a guy who's shown he can produce a lot of runs or, excuse me, drive in a lot of runs in a lineup that's not that good. 79 last year in 122 games and then 97 this year. We see good power from him. If we get a full season from Josh Naylor, 140 games, and he could easily be a top 60 player in fantasy. It's just a matter of keeping him on the field and maybe hoping that there's one or two more reinforcements added to that Cleveland lineup because it's pretty, pretty terrible. Manzardo might be the guy that could be that spark for them. But either way, I think that you're looking at a really good price here of him, uh, of Josh Naylor in the 130, 140 range. Let's talk TJ Friedel, who got an MVP vote, and he was a big, uh, our, our friend Justin Mason was a really big fan of TJ Friedel coming into the season. I didn't really have a strong opinion one way or the other. I didn't think that he was somebody that was really worth paying that much attention to. If you saw what he did last year, 72 games, eight homers, seven stolen bases. I didn't think that it was, I didn't, it wasn't like strongly avoiding him or anything, but I just thought he was kind of average, you know, good strikeout rate, good walk rate, but I didn't think there was much to write home about. Well, he played 138 games this year. Give you 18 homers, 27 stolen bases, and the 279 batting average to go along with 73 runs and 66 RBIs. TJ Friedel was a huge surprise and a huge value. Well, maybe it wasn't a surprise for people like Justin, but he was a huge, huge value because you weren't really paying anything for him this past season, and he returned great value just outside of the top 100 at 121 for the season. Now, he's projected to be the leadoff hitter for the Cincinnati Reds next season. Right now, according to roster resource, you have him followed up by McLean, Steer, Encarnacion, Strand, India, Dela Cruz. TJ Friedel could easily score 100 runs next year if he's healthy. We saw 73 runs in 138 games. We get a full-ish season from him, and I know 138 is pretty full, but we get 145, 150 games from him. I think in that lineup, with the development we can expect from the young guys in that on that team, I think close to 100 runs. I think the speed is legit. You can look at 20 to 30 stolen bases again. The power, I'm not sure about. The power, I don't know if we're going to see 18 home runs necessarily again. It might be like 15. But you don't need such huge power from Friedel, considering he's going to give you good batting average, good stolen bases, and a really good run total. There's a lot to really, really like about him. Now, he's not somebody that you're paying a terribly high price for either. Uh, At this point, 152 is his price tag. 112 is the minimum. 204 is the maximum. You know, it's quite a big range there of almost 100 picks. But again, that's why we got the ADP. Generally, on average, you're looking at about 152. At that point, you're outside of the first 10 rounds. And if you can add a leadoff hitter for a great lineup, great ballpark, really great up-and-coming team, I don't see any reason to be fading TJ Friedel where he is currently going. There's a lot to really like about literally everything that he does. Uh, Defensively, he's strong. Offensively, he's really good. He was a 4.4 war player, according to Fangraphs. TJ Friedel, four-and-a-half win player. He was excellent. He's going to be out there, and I think that his draft price is probably on almost definitely a little bit too late. But let's talk about George Springer. George Springer is a tough guy to really evaluate, uh, especially being a Blue Jay fan. Sometimes being a fan of a team, and that's kind of just the way it goes as a you know an, an analyst. You're going to be a fan of one team wherever you grew up, or the team you were you know, you were cheering for as a kid, or whatever it is. And you're going to be more biased one way or the other towards that team. So I want to try and keep it here as neutral as possible with George Springer. I I like a lot of things that we've seen, but I also dislike a few things. So let's just dive into it right here. He played 154 games this season. It's the most he's played in a season since 2016. And he's been a guy where that's been a huge, 
huge issue in Toronto. His first year was 78 games. Last year was 122 games. If you've ever watched George Springer play baseball, and I'm, I'm assuming most of you have at some point, he plays the game like he has no concern for his physical well-being. He will fly all over the place. He will dive into the wall. We didn't see it as much this year. I think he was a little more careful, and also he wasn't playing center. He didn't need to be doing the spectacular things. The Blue Jays had Kevin Kiermeyer and they had Dalton Varsho in the other two outfielder spots, so they weren't in as much need of Springer's heroics as they were the previous two seasons. Maybe that is what allowed him to stay a little bit healthier, is moving to the corner outfield spot, because he played right 131 times, and he played center field once, DH 21 times as well this year. Whatever it is, keeping him on the field is a good thing. Now, the actual production that we saw from him definitely fell. The WRC Plus numbers going back the last five years, 155, 143, 140, 133, solidly at least a third better than league average. This year, we, well, we fell down to 104. Barely above league average. Now, the actual fantasy line was pretty solid still. You got 21 homers. You got 20 stolen bases. You got a 258 batting average, 87 runs, and 72 RBI. You got a pretty similar season to what George did the year prior. You're within four homers. You're within two runs. You're within four ribbies. You're within six stolen bases, and you're within 10 batting average points. A lot of it is very similar to what he did the year prior, but he added 21 games. So you'd really hope that the volume, instead of slightly decreasing, would have gone up. Those 89 runs would have been 100. That those 76 ribbies would have been 85. You got the stolen bases going up, but everything else going down was definitely a bit of a problem here for George Springer. Now, I think that he'll be healthier as he gets older because he won't be asked to do as much. I know as a guy gets older, you're typically thinking that the health will deteriorate, and that's definitely a possibility in the cards. But I think that the Jays are just not going to be needing as much from George Springer. We saw him play center field once. I don't think Kiermaier's coming back, but it'll be Varsho probably moving over. Springer will remain on the corner, whether it's right or left, probably in right. And you're not needed as much as a right fielder. The right fielder is the guy who probably has the least to do with the baseball game throughout you know, the average course of a baseball game. There might be a, a game where a right fielder gets 10 balls hit to him. But on average, you're not expected to do as much at all from that position. It's probably the least active position on the diamond. So I think that if he plays more and right, he DHs more as he gets older, we may see more of these. And again, there's not too many seasons left. He's 34, but we might see a couple more of these 140 to 150 type game seasons. And at that point, I can live with what we're getting, especially considering the price is now Reduced to the point where it's not really even a factor with George Springer. 127 after him previously for the last several years being a top 50, top 60 guy. Now his minimum pick, he's not even been drafted one time in the top 100. 100 exactly is the minimum. 153 is the maximum. I think at that point, you got to take a chance. I, I think if you're getting him in round eight or so, you're getting a guy who, again, we do have some injuries in the past, but the last couple of years have been mostly healthy. You know you're getting 20-ish homers. You know you're getting 15 or so steals. Decent batting average. The volume should be pretty good in that lineup. My question is, where will he be in that lineup? Because we know that George Springer likes to lead off. That's always what he's liked to do. But there was a time this year where he was out of the leadoff spot. And as he gets older, maybe they ask him to do that a little bit more. You know, he did at the end of the season kind of reclaim that role. It was from about July until I guess the middle, late part of August, where he was batting fourth or fifth. And it didn't really do much for him. He's a guy who, even though the profile isn't necessarily scream leadoff hitter, you know, good old, good OBP, but not the craziest speed. I think that they should maybe just do what he wants to do, even if it's not what they necessarily think is best. It's where he's comfortable. It's where he's played the majority of his career, and we're talking a decade now of being a leadoff hitter. 
that's where we've seen the best version of George Springer. So I think that they need to leave him in the leadoff spot, not move him around too much. Uh, part of me thinks that he shouldn't be in the leadoff spot at all, but also like just let the guy be comfortable at this point of his career. You don't need to be doing too much crazy stuff. Just let him be him. And then you might still get those 90 runs, 80 to 90 RBI, 20 homers, 20 steals, 270 batting average. The upside of a George Springer is very high, and he's one of those guys we've talked about throughout the offseason that it doesn't have to, upside doesn't have to mean young guy. It doesn't have to be you know Jackson Holiday type of upside. It could also just be an older guy who people have kind of forgotten about or are forgetting about, even though he just went 2020 for the first time and showed that he was healthy for the first time in seven years. So I understand why the price is going down, but I also think it's led to a really nice buying opportunity with Springer. I would be taking him. Not every single draft, of course. I don't recommend that with anybody, but round eight, round nine, I don't think you can really go wrong uh, if you are selecting him there. Let's talk Michael Harris. Michael Harris is an interesting one for sure. Very tough player to evaluate as well because we've seen just incredibly torrid hot stretches from him. And we've also seen just some really awful, awful stretches from him. The beginning of this season, he was a borderline drop. I I drafted him in my home league somewhere, I think, in the fourth round. It's a 10-team league. And I was sitting there thinking after the first few couple months of the season, like, oh, my God, I, I drafted Michael Harris. I could have had so many players that I didn't have to worry about this sophomore risk bullshit. And I was scared as hell, to be honest with you. The month of April, he had no home runs. He batted 200. Month of May, two home runs, batted 167. We only had five steals in the first two months of the year. And then in June, we got five homers in a 372 average. July, we only got a couple homers, but 289. August, four homers, 336. And then September and October, five homers, and he batted 301. In the second half of the year, it was a 325 batting average for Michael Harris. The kid has shown that he can be an absolute stud. But I think that we probably need to take our expectations back a little bit from what we can expect over the course of a whole season and over the course of probably the next couple seasons for Michael Harris. So he's still being drafted in like the third round. 38 overall is his ADP. 28 on the minimum, 50 on the maximum. Now, I know that he missed some time this season, but he finished as the 134th ranked player. And again, that is with missing some time. He missed 24 games this year, and he also had a horrible start to the season. So people think, oh, well, you know, if he figures it out earlier on next year, plays a whole season, then you're looking at 30 homers, 30 steals, 300 average. It's in the range of outcomes for him to give you that kind of season. But the Braves have also not really showed a willingness to move him so far up the order. They have a, excuse me. They have from time to time, but it's not something that they are going to commit to because they have so much talent at the top of the order. They don't really need to. They can have him closer to the bottom, which is where he spent the majority of his time in the nine hole, eighty-eight times. He let off twice. He batted second thirteen times, but thirteen times batting seventh, thirteen times batting eighth, and eighty-eight times batting ninth. There's just not a lot that you can really hope for in the long term, even in a great lineup in terms of counting stats there, especially if you're talking about a third-round ADP. He had 57 RBI and 76 runs. That was in the majority of a season, 138 games. That's a full season. That's definitely problematic. He doesn't really get on base outside of the hits he gets, a 4.6% walk rate, so his 300 average almost is a 330 OBP. I like that he cut the strikeout rate. I like that we're seeing steals from him still. But I just don't know that you can justify a third-round pick of Michael Harris. It's the same kind of conversation from last year, that he's a very good player. But you know, if I knew he was batting leadoff or batting second behind Acuna, then I think you could probably justify that price. 
but he might be the number eight or the nine hole guy again next season. And you might just get another 60 RBI and 70 runs. And even if you're getting a 2020 season at that point, I don't think it's really justified in the third round to be taking him where he's going. I, I would like to, I just wish people wouldn't be pushing him so far up these draft boards to the point where I don't think I can even take him justifiably. He's going ahead of Jose Altuve. He's going ahead of Adelise Garcia, Randy Arena. I just don't know that that's necessarily the wise move. So I think as of now, it's probably I'm probably fading Michael Harris, and it's not something I want to do, but it's just the, the position we're in because of the price that he is costing right now. Let's talk Teoscar Hernandez. Teoscar Hernandez is one of the trickier players as well, and there's a lot of, honestly, I've said that a lot today, there's a lot of tricky players to evaluate in this kind of grouping of outfielders. A lot of them I don't really love, and Teoscar Hernandez, unfortunately, is in that same kind of boat where I just want to be more interested than I actually am. Just considering the way that the career path has looked these last couple of seasons, I don't think that we're going to be looking at a great production line from him in 2024. Now, if you're looking on the surface, 26 homers, 93 ribbies, 258 batting average, he stole seven bases. That's really not bad. But again, I'll point to those WRC Plus numbers that we looked at with George Springer. And over the last few seasons, we're looking at 142, 132, and 130. This year, we're down to 105, just barely above league average. We know Teo is a terrible, terrible defender. Any Blue Jays fans or any Mariners fans listening will be able to attest to that. He's brutal. But he'll play. He'll play pretty regularly, 135 times and right, 28 times as a DH. He played 160 games. My worry is as he gets older, he's not going to be playing as much in the field, maybe at all, if the offensive production matches with the defense and continues to go the wrong way because the strikeout rate is terrible, 31%. The walk rate has gone down to 5.6%. I think that we saw those couple seasons in Toronto where he was winning silver sluggers, and deservedly so, and I think that was the peak. That was when Toronto you know, wisely said that they should sell him, and I, I don't know if Eric Swanson was enough of a return still, even after a year. It probably was, but I think that we're at the point with Teoscar Hernandez where he's no longer that great fantasy asset where you can be drafted him in the first three rounds, and you're going to be getting 30 homers, double-digit steals, 100 runs, 100 ribbies, like that kind of general realm of production. I think 2021 really – it can happen with a lot of players where one year just kind of skews the way you think about them, and you might over, drastically over or underrate them. And I think that's what happened with Teo. He's been a very solid player since 2018 when he was a full-time player or when he, since he first became a full-time player, but it's definitely gone downhill in the ensuing years. So I don't know that Teoscar Hernandez is somebody that I want to have on my teams. I might take one or two shares of him, but he's not somebody that I think is going to be able to be that successful. The price has come down, which, I mean, sure, it should have. It's at 150 but the minimum pick is still at 86, and if you look at the draft trends, if you, look at, if you click on a player's name on the NFBC site, you still see some people taking him in there. You know, inside the top 100 is pretty rare for Teo, but you're seeing like just outside of it as well. And at that point, I don't think I can justify it. I think there are too many outfielders, especially in your three outfielder leagues, that mean I don't need to be pushing a guy like Teo up the board at all. I can completely bypass him if I want to. I can completely write him off. And I can go for, you know, TJ Friedel's going after. Jorge Soler, who's obviously a bit riskier, but Masataka Yoshida, James Outman, Riley Green, Kerry Carpenter. Dalton Varsho, Lars Nupar, Taylor Ward, Stephen Kwan, Lourdes Gurriel. These guys are all going after, and I think for the most part, I feel just as confident in pretty much all of them. And they're going like drastically after between 20 and 50 picks, a lot of these guys. So I don't know that Teoscar really makes sense, even though the price is discounted. 
I don't think it's necessarily discounted enough that I'd be that interested. If you're getting him at the maximum pick of 194, then sure. That's a King's Ransom probably at 194. But I think anywhere higher than like 140, 150, which is the ADP, I'm going to be pretty far out on Teoscar Hernandez. Let's talk about number 29, Brandon Nimmo. Brandon Nimmo, I was not really all that convinced that the Mets made a great decision in the offseason. They gave him a lot of money, $162 million over eight years. I thought it was a drastic overpay for Brandon Nimmo, $20 million annually for a guy that hadn't really shown that he can stay healthy outside of 2022, which was the contract year. But then he came out this past season and put together – Honestly, maybe even a better season. It was very close in terms of overall value. But you got 152 games, another healthy season, 24 homers, 89 runs, 68 RBI, and three stolen bases to go along with a 274 batting average from Nimmo. 10% walk rate, 20% strikeout rate. Check, check, check. 130 WRC plus a four-win player, 4.3. The Mets made the right call, and I was not really expecting it, but he stayed healthy. And that was kind of the main thing with Brandon Nimmo. We weren't sure what kind of health we're going to be looking at from him. But you're getting a guy who is the leadoff hitter for a very good offense. And I know they weren't the greatest team this past season. Don't expect them to be down on the mat for another year. They'll be okay. And a guy like Nimmo leading off for that offense is going to be able to get on base a lot. He's going to be able to score a lot of runs. The power is there. You'll get a couple of stolen bases. He's a really nice player to target that no one really seems to go out of their way to push up draft boards. He's never somebody that I see getting pushed way, way up. Right now, it's ridiculously cheap. It's honestly stupid. He's going to pick 195. 162 is the minimum, and 228 is the maximum. Anywhere in that range is totally acceptable outside of the first 10 rounds. Like, he is, again, you're a little bit worried about the health, but there's not really any player at this point for me that I'm not worried about the health with. If that's the only reason why he's going so late, then that's ridiculous because the production increased... Maybe it's because the team around him wasn't as good. People might push him down for that reason. But just based on what you're getting out of Brandon Nimmo, uh, there's no reason to be taking him outside of the top 200 picks. He's very, very easily should be a guy inside the top 150. If you're getting him 200 beyond that, like I think that's an absolute steal at that point. And I'd be doing it pretty much. I know I said I don't like to take anybody in like every draft, but I'd pretty much be taking him in every draft at that point if that continues to be the price because it's just ridiculously cheap. Let's talk about one more guy for today, and that's Ian Happ. Ian Happ comes in at number 30 on our outfield ranker, and just to show you how deep outfield is, that's the 137th player overall. 30 in the top 137 players, that's 22% just about, were outfielders, just to give you a concept of maybe where you should be drafting them, how they performed. It's a lot of outfielders that had very, very strong seasons. Now, Ian Happ, honestly, was not somebody that I had any shares of this year. And when that is the case and you don't have a guy on any team, they can generally kind of fall through the cracks and you don't really end up focusing on them as much as you maybe want to. But Ian Happ had a very strong season. He had 21 homers, 86 runs, 84 RBI, 14 steals, and a 248 batting average. He got his walk rate up to 14.3%, which was nearly a career high. And he's got that strikeout rate down to 22% over the years. It was something that was 31 and then 36% in his first two years. Then it went to 25, 27, 29. And we've seen the last two years, 23 and 22%. It's an incredible change, even though it took five, six years. A lot of players never change. Once they have a 30-plus percent K rate, that's just it for them. To get it down to league average with a twice better than league average walk rate nearly is really impressive for Ian Happ. So you got to give him kudos there. 
He's been a really solid fantasy producer now for several seasons. And his price is maybe a little bit higher than I would have wanted to pay. But digging into his profile, I don't think it's unreasonable. He's going about pick 150, 153 on average. But he's one of those guys with a huge gap between the minimum and the maximum. The minimum is 96. The maximum is 184. Obviously, I prefer him closer to the maximum. I don't want to be touching him inside of the top 100. But he's a pretty safe, stable guy that you can be probably banking on close to 20 and 10 from, like roughly 20 and 10. Decent batting average. You're getting decent counting stats as well in that Cubs lineup, and you're getting volume from him. He's been healthy for pretty much his whole career. I I know previous health, not an indicator of future health, but you got 148, 158, and 158 each of the past three seasons. So he's been out there. He's going to be playing when he is healthy, and that has been a common thing for him in his career. You're getting good production. I think overall at the price, you could do worse. It's, it's a pretty reasonable tag to be paying for Ian Happ. Not somebody that is like a big target of mine. He won't be on a sleeper list of mine or anything. But if it gets to that point in the draft and I need an outfielder, there's no reason to, to want to look away from Happ. Very, very solid production we've seen from him for a better part of his whole career now at this point. But that'll do it. That'll do it for us for today. We will do another outfielder show tomorrow. Look at numbers 31 through 40 because, like I said, there is a lot of high-ranking outfielders. Very hard to get through them in a short period of time. But we're going to probably wrap it up tomorrow. We may do one more show next week and maybe just round out the top 50. But we are winding down our outfield reviews. And then we just have pitchers left. <clears throat> After pitchers, then we start looking ahead to next season from a few different angles. We'll do team previews. We'll do position previews. We'll do category previews. And we'll do a lot of great stuff. And you guys need to be following along, of course, at Ethos Fantasy BB on Twitter and at my own personal account as well at JoeOrico99. If you're not somebody who uses social media, sportsethos.com is the place for you guys to be checking out all of our great content right from the source. But until tomorrow, guys, I hope you have a great night. Take care and cheers. Cheers.